And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool here on Blaze Podcast Network. My name's Cam Edwards. I am joined once again by the lovely and talented Miss E. Hello. Hey. Yeah, you can't wave hello. I know. I'm still trying to think of my opening <laughs> phrase because everyone has given me suggestions that while I like are not good for the Blaze podcast radio audience right. because it, they they you know contain swear words. Yes. So, hi, y'all. No, that's not even right because I'm from New Jersey. How you doing? Like, I, like, <laughs> I guess I can, I can take that except for I don't talk like that anymore. And I didn't talk like that when I was living in New Jersey. I, I'm like, I don't even know where the accent came from. I think it invaded from... North Jersey and the South Jersey, because when I go back to visit my family, it sounds way worse than it did when I lived there. Mm. I don't think South Jersey sounded as North Jersey when I lived there when I was... I don't know, but, but you, anyway. you've you lost your accent. You had much more of an accent when we first met. And I, it wasn't even that. It was some words, like, you know, I would say, you know, water is problematic in everyone's accent, but I don't ever think I ever said water weird. In New Jersey, if you're at Rita's and you're asking for a certain frozen delicacy that's flavored mm-hmm. and it's water-based with food colorings added and fruit flavors, you're usually getting a water ice. And I don't even know what water ice even whatever that is. Yeah. But yeah, that's how weird the pronunciations can get about water in New Jersey. So water, 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 water. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I, when I got to Oklahoma, I used to say bagel... Hard, bagel. I would say yeah. bagel. And uh, coffee. Yes. But I don't think anything else was there. People were really surprised when they heard I was from New Jersey because they expected me to sound like people from New Jersey. From North Jersey. Yeah, North right. Jersey. But anyway, accents aside, <coughs> we're both fairly flat in Hollywood after going, for me, going from New Jersey to Oklahoma and then Northern Virginia to Southern Virginia. The accent around here is like, oh dear. Well, it's not even an accent around here. It's a dialect. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's first couple of months after we moved here, you couldn't no, even... No, it's, it's the way the people say the words. The words aren't different. It's just the way they say them. So it's definitely an accent. I think a dialect implies different vocabulary words. Mm, almost like a different... You're right. Almost like a different language. Right. It's not a different language. It's But it's not. the way people say the words. <laughs> right. But it's so many words that it almost feels like a different language. Because, yes. as I was going to say, for the first couple of months after we moved here, there were people that we knew who have grown up around this part and... You really could not understand. It really was like they were speaking another language. No, it was like I was back in college and I was taking linear algebra and my Hungarian professor, Dr. Hoth, was teaching this class. And I, you know, like every person in New Jersey, started at the back of the class because I'm like, whatever. But I kept moving closer and closer to the front. Like, I'm surely missing something. I just could not, on the for the life of me, figure out how this man was making words like i literally like and i was a student of english i had taken etymological word studies classes by this point but i and i think that's what helped me because his accent was so heavy that it literally took me two weeks to figure out how he was making his vowel sound so i could transliterate that in my brain and it was almost like a light bulb went off and i figured out how he talked and this was the class by the way that I ended up getting a 95 in, and I got such good grade that I didn't even have to take the final four. By the way, wow. I said English, 
liberal arts major, linear algebra. Oh, holla. But anyway, that's what moving here reminded me of with some of the people around here. Like, it took me a couple of weeks to figure out how they were making their vowel sounds and how they were making a lot of the the, the word endings. Like, because people from Massachusetts, when you get pizza, you get pizza. And you go out in your car. Right. And you park. Like, some words have R's that they shouldn't have, and then words that have R's are not pronounced. Yes. It's kind of like that down here with... What was the one that was telling? It was, it was Farmville. 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 It's yeah. like Farmville. It's Farmville. <laughs> right. Like what? What is but that in even? The, and it is dialect, by the way, according to Dictionary.com. Dialect is a particular form of a language which is peculiar to a specific region or social group. But it's not a different language. It's a different it's pronunciation a of the form words. Of a language. Okay. Of any language which is peculiar to a specific region or social group. So we have a dialect that's the Central Piedmont dialect. It might not necessarily be the Central Piedmont dialect because when I was an English major in New Jersey, we read a book that uh, closely correlated the old England, the old Virginia, North Carolina accent and the way they said vowels to mm. Old English. Yes, and this is actually very close to Old English, but now it's a dialect that is pretty peculiar you're just going to keep saying that word just to make me part wrong. of the state and you're going to keep like trying to figure out ways where you can be right it's an accent because <laughs> they're saying the words it's not like they're not saying dog they're just saying dog yeah but it's a dialect mm-hmm. so okay anyway um we actually haven't been at each other's throats this week we've been uh in a pretty good mood you got great news this week well yeah Actually, actually, it was last week. It was it was the day after we finished taping the last podcast. Uh, you went down for your CT scan. Yes, and I was in and out so quickly that I was really surprised. I was a little early, but you know, yeah, yay, yay them. I had an eight thirty appointment. I was out of there by eight thirty seven. Home by a little after nine. But at, <clears throat> usually, what happens is I go for my CT scan, and <clears throat> I already have an appointment set up to talk to the doctor. The following whatever the first available day is, and in this case, it's Tuesday because the clinic's closed on Mondays, and I already have my appointment. Well, at 10 o'clock, I'm getting a phone call from an unknown caller in Lynchburg, and I thought, oh, gosh, it's one of those people calling about my automobile (laughs) warranty yet again because literally, it it happened like twice again in the past two days on the house phone. And it happens almost every single day on my cell phone. Anyway, I picked it up and said, hi, it's Elaine. And it was my doctor. And he said, uh, along with don't expect me to call after every CT scan, he said uh, that he already had the results and everything was better. But that's all he said. Yeah. And then Tuesday, I actually went down for my appointment because I wanted a copy of the report. Well, for, okay, don't, don't, don't like, just don't like, we're going to skip over. I mean, like. No, I mean, better is better, but I didn't know what better meant. Like, no, better you could knew mean. It was better. You knew enough that you came into the office yeah. and you're, you know, crying, happy, happy crying. tears. Yeah. Like, what's going on? I needed to tell you right away. Yeah. But better at that point was just like, I didn't know what better meant. Like, better in my brain was a plan that got me to where the tumor stopped growing. It was palliative. It's not curative at this point. And so, I was just like, yeah, 
they they stopped growing, which is good. It's like, you know, I'm going to take the worst case scenario and the worst case scenario is that they just keep growing and taking over. But the best at this point in my brain was like, they just stopped growing. So that's why my brain was um, on Friday. It was just like better was they stopped growing. Mm-hmm. But on Tuesday, when I went in to talk to the doctor and I got a report, the tumors, some of them are actually shrinking. Yeah. I, in fact, uh, looking at the report, I think it was all of them with like one exception that it kind of looked like they were kind of like three separate ones that may have like kind of merged together. Well, three merged into one and then they gave the statistics for like maybe six others, but I had 14 tumors. So I don't think they gave all the statistics for all of them, but I'll take that most of the bigger ones are getting smaller. Yeah. So um, I'll go, I'll go with that. Yeah. That just means that they are responding positively to the gems are. And I go back tomorrow, you know, yet again, still some more for more chemo. <laughs> Uh, but I think it's actually, I think it's actually starting to have a negative effect again on my hair. Is it? It's, it's thinning again. Is it? I think I'm just going to go ahead and shave my head. I hate this hair. And it's weird and it sticks up all over the place no matter what. And it's, it's not covering. I I look like a dude with male pattern baldness at this point. It's not even, and I keep trying to do the comb over, but the comb over is getting lamer and lamer. Okay. I'm just going to try to embrace the bald. I get it. Well, I need a haircut so we can give each other uh, shave downs this weekend. Woohoo! We also need to shave uh, the last dog down. Yeah, we this do. This weekend. Probably uh, fix the first one I shaved, too. And we still need to plant our peppers because we haven't done that yet. I feel so bad that we haven't. But they're doing fine. Yeah, they're fine. They're still growing. The, yeah, they're still growing in their little tiny plastic cells, but... Yeah, they're little tiny plastic cells. I know. They're not going to get gotta, any bigger. I know. we got to get them out and in the ground. Yes. We started. We mowed down the area where we were going to use it. We just need to burn it and then till it and then plant some plants. Yes. So, it's just more steps. <laughs> I know. It's always steps. And this is the royal we. Uh, I know. It is the royal we because I'm not doing <laughs> most of that. I might torch it. I, that's, that's a nice job. It just means I can stand still and set fire to things. You that's, can do that. Yeah. Part of the problem is it was, again, it was, you know, ungodly hot and humid this weekend. So I got up, you know, Saturday, I had to mow the yard. And then by the time I get done mowing, it's now noon. And it's like, okay, I really don't want to work it's hot as down in yeah, the garden. Hot as you know, bee at that time of right. day in the garden. Because the only time the garden gets any good sun is in the middle of the day where it's scorching hot. Yeah. It can and- get over 100 and something, like 110. I'm really surprised that sometimes my greenhouse hasn't melted. Like, or bowed more. Yeah. Because it's just plastic and metal bits, but sometimes it gets over 100 degrees in there in the summertime. Oh, yeah, easily. That's why I keep the windows open and the doors open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the tomatoes are still doing great. Oh, it's so... I think we have at least one of every single type of the nine tomatoes. Oh, yeah? Well, because like, we have... we've got tomatoes growing. Right? Yeah, we've got... In the four beds, we have two types... And on each of the two different sets of like sides, you because I put I like it was a three two three two configuration and a square yeah. along the edges. So because if people look at our my Instagram account, uh, they'll see where I pu- pu- at placed Corny Goat Farm. Corny Goat Farm, I placed the um, fence posts in the corners so that I could run the Florida fences. So the tomato plants run along the outside edges. Right. So we do. And so for the paste. And the slicers, it was done in a like a 
one type, there was a three on one side, two on another. And on another type in the same bed, there was three on one side and two on another. Mm-hmm. And so in every one of those where you look at them, there's at least one tomato Okay. of each. So, yeah, we have slicers, we have paste, and we have three different types of cherries. I know. I think the cherries, they usually come in first because they don't take as long. Yeah, they do. They have um, a much shorter time. So we also, uh, our, our cucumbers, which had just been... They they popped out of the ground and they you know grew their first or their second set of leaves and then they just kind of stopped growing. Well, the first frost hit them and we lost a bunch of plants. Yeah, so we're down to six. Yeah, but they they weren't really doing anything before the frost and right. they really weren't doing much right after the frost. But now they're taking off. We have all kinds of flowers. Yeah, anyway. there's lots of blooms. Uh, they're still kind of small and stunted. They haven't started you know climbing up the trellis yet. No. There's one that's that's starting to. Yeah. Um, but or just uh, get long enough to train to climb on the trellis. Like they're all too puny. Yeah, but they're in good spots. Yeah, they are. Um, so yeah, I mean the garden is uh, it is what it is. Like I said, I'll feel much better hopefully next week when I can report back that the peppers are finally planted. But uh, at least the stuff that we do have in the ground is is growing well. <laughs> we still need to get the hot pepper sauce labeled and organized so we're all we we've got you know it's all good on the peppers we're like the slowest on the peppers we really are i know which is kind of funny because we like them (laughs) i like peppers but although uh, i think this batch i don't think a single sweet pepper plant survived except for the very very puny hungarian cheese and mm. i don't know how well they'll do but everything else because i germinated them with hot soil or a hot pad because they're hot peppers yeah we got lots of hot big hot pepper plants yeah, so yeah. we'll get it. We'll get it done. We'll get it in the ground. But uh, all of the critters are doing well. We've, I think, we're gonna only have four baby goats this year. Uh, I don't think that Fern ended up taking, and no, she's I think in she might heat. Have had a hysterical pregnancy, and she just got fat over the winter. We know, thought yeah. she was pregnant. She was one of the first girls we stuck with Chico because she was the one who was like. Hey there, sailor, outside the gate when we yep. brought him back. And she's been crying out for loving this week. But it's, man. Too, it's, too, oh, no, no. it's totally yeah. long time. We talked about, it's about this. about five months. And yeah. so they'd be, you know, she'd be giving birth in late October, early November, which is, no, we've it's, had our freezes by then, yeah. you know, in, in the past. And Plus, it throws off everything else with, like, the goat milk schedule. Like, right. I don't, I don't, I've not milked. Well, last year we ended up, we planned to go, well, we planned to go to the beach for a week. And I stopped milking went the for girls a, day. a week. Yeah, yeah, we went for two days. I probably could have picked them back up again, but yeah. So by then, I'm not usually milking. I don't want to have babies born in the cold either. We've 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 talked about that because usually people get their um, goats bred at the end of summer, early fall, but mm-hmm. that usually puts them having babies in the winter, and we don't really have the facilities to put our girls inside in the winter right. when they're expecting, and we've lost too many babies to colds. So yeah. This, I, I mean, this worked out well. Oh, yeah. They're all four alive. They're all four doing great. They're all super healthy. They were the only... <laughs> when I took them to get disputed, vaccinated, and for poor Monty, banded, uh, to the vets, they were all so eerily quiet <laughs> in the dog uh, crate in the back of the truck. It was kind of funny because they hollered and yelled, you know, great when we grabbed them. Mm-hmm. But the entire time we were at the vet waiting, <laughs> they were quiet. just so eerily quiet. Uh, but yeah. Well, it's been really funny because, yeah, so Monty and Squeak came first and then the, uh, the two sisters, who we also still have to get around to naming, that's another thing on the to-do list, um... 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll call her, uh, I don't know. We have to come up with a, a pair of famous sisters. I don't know. They both look really similar, except for one has um, uh, two black stripes that go, like, on her cheeks to her mm. ears. And the other one has three. And so she's got the two that go from her cheeks to her ears, but one from her nose to her center. So her body, their body marks are really similar. Yeah. And they're very polka-dotted, which is really surprising. Right. Because their mother is Twilight. The mostly seinen. She's seinen in Nigerian dwarf, but she's all white. And most of the boys she's thrown, most of the kids she's thrown recently have been all white. And here, this time around, last year she threw just Casper, one male, but mm-hmm. this year, two girls. So Yeah, three girls all together, so yay Chico. Yeah, um, I've got two sold, and I might keep Twilight's yeah. girls, because they would be, hopefully the plan is, like, seinen Nigerian, would they would be good in milking. Okay. Because they're a little uh, bit bigger, and Twilight gives a half a gallon a day. Okay, I never heard back from uh, Megan McCain, so I don't, you know, don't know if she's got room for the goats. But uh, well, my one oncology nurse wants to buy Montague and Squeak. Okay, that's so. fine. But it's been it's been cute because Montague and Squeak are a week older, and so for the first couple of days, the two sets really didn't have much to do with each other. They're a little older than that, but yeah. But now. Oh yeah, they play. They totally play together. The fact the other day I I went over to uh, check on them and uh, Freckles came walking up. So she's Monty and Squeak's mom, and then all four of them just in a straight line behind. Yeah, just bung bung bunging up the up the hill, which was really really cute to watch. We have not. What's really weird is that we were talking about this the other night. I think the freeze that we had killed off our fireflies, though. Yeah, because for many, many years, we've had... I mean, literally, you could walk down the to the creek or see any line of trees, and you would see just, sh- you know, sheets of fireflies. Like, yeah. it, it would be like the trees would be illuminated from top to bottom with fireflies. Our friend came to visit us from Phoenix, and I guess they do not have fireflies in Phoenix, Arizona. And we were outside, and she was she was seriously freaked out by the. She burning. really was, yeah. Like, but, she, like yeah. she ran to the house. Like she was <laughs> like she was beyond freaked out. It was like. Wait, they're fireflies. You don't. I'm like, they don't we, bite. We grew up with them because right. they're from. We, we have them in New Jersey. We had them in Virginia. We had them in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I guess they just don't have them out in Arizona and part of California where she grew up as a kid. But like, like, yeah, they might have fire for butts, but they don't bite. <laughs> but yeah, it's been so weird this year. We hardly have any, but we also maybe have three blueberries. Right. I think the frost got all of that. Yeah. Too. So. Yeah, but it, it is. It's because it, it was right around um, Mother's Day that we had the freeze, and I had noticed because I like to keep track every year of when the first fly, when I see the first firefly, and it was firefly, and it was <laughs> firefly, um, and it really was. It was like four or five days before the first, before that last freeze that we had, that I said, "Oh, that's the first one of the year," because they were just starting to come out, and then boom, poof. freeze, and then now. I saw two. Yeah, I saw two last, last night. night, and you know, I've never in the yard. I haven't seen maybe more than three or four, and normally, really, you would see thousands. L- literally, of them. like coating everywhere. It'd be like fairy lights all over all the bushes and trees. Yeah, and it's scary because. So, if anybody knows anything more than we ha- do about fireflies, will will they come back? Yeah, or, right? that's the scary part. Like usually, I thought the light show thing was a mating, so that they would mate and, and lay there eggs and the eggs fell to the ground or maybe that's locusts see i'm getting all my bug paraphernalia mixed up um but anyway like 
I know that it is a mating thing. I know it's a mating thing because it's a synchronicity yeah. thing where they try to find their blinking right. partner. But yeah, I would hate it if we lost all the fireflies here because that makes this place so magical in the spring. Yeah, yeah, early. It really does. It does. Spring and early summer. I mean, it's. it's one I remember of those. the first time we walked down that killer butt kicker hill down to the creek mm-hmm. to look, mm-hmm. and the and. It was because it was so dark down there because it was yeah. far away from the house. And then we then we have the walls of the big, tall trees. They were just everywhere. It was like being in an arena at a concert. And everyone holding up their lighters, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah good analogy. <laughs> and, and you were, were just, you know, there were like 100,000 people around just, you all flicking their lighters. And it was amazing. And it was really awe-inspiring. And it was, I was like, wow! And I would hate if we lost that i know so um yeah if any of you are firefly experts or or lightning bug experts we'll we'll, we'll accept those two um, it must come back this place isn't ever you know we have weird weather all the time or late frosts early frosts. yeah but this was a super duper late freeze no it was um global warming right yeah right so I'm just curious, and uh, yeah, if anybody has any more information, please send them along. Uh, yeah. if, if the email address, by the way, is 40acrefool at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow Miss E at Corny Goat Farm on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter at Cam Edwards. And you can find us on Facebook at uh, Corny Goat Farm as well. Also, our Patreon page, Missy had mentioned the uh, After Hours podcast that yeah. we do for our Patreon subscribers. That's the uh, the uncensored podcast. You don't want the uh, kids to stay up late and listen to that unless you... Not uh, safe for work. Exactly. Yeah, uh, or uh, tender ears. But you can find that at patreon.com slash Cam Edwards. And uh, we certainly do appreciate your support. Uh, I'm glad to know that the chemo is working. That means that the bills are going to keep coming, and uh, your oh, subscriptions yeah. I know. help defray the cost yeah, of uh, keeping Miss E here. So, and we like keeping Miss E here. Uh, you, you know, you are. Uh, I, I think you're. you're <coughs> yeah, I'm pretty addicted to this life thing. For yeah. a negative, pessimistic person, I, <laughs> right? I kind of like living it. I was really. Uh, okay, so I just so okay. Sometimes we talk about the books we're reading mm-hmm. to do a little books corner. Um, and, oh, yeah, so the one person that uh, we were talking about books one night, we were talking about that Genghis Khan book. Her dad was super interested. She gave me his address so that when I finish the two extra books that I bought about Genghis Khan, I'm going to go ahead and send to him. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, I was reading Whitaker Chambers' Whitaker Chambers? Yes. Is Witness about... It's kind of an autobiographical book. It's not just about him being a witness in the Alger Hiss trial. It's about him, what he calls being a witness as being a communist. And the one thing that kind of disturbed me, I'm, I'm not very far into the book, but his brother, his younger brother, who he had an indifferent relationship, although closer than they thought after he was gone, his brother committed suicide. And his... The brother's reasoning was kind of, I don't know, it was it was before the, I think it wasn't. It was, it was probably before was, the Great Depression. It was before the Great Depression, so I wouldn't think that you would have such a negative view of life. But even his brother was like, Whitaker Chambers' brother asked him to join him and it, as a joke at one point or maybe seriously at one point but he just said no i'm not going to do that and then years later the brother actually committed suicide but 
they kept trying to stop him a lot. Mm. And even Whitaker Chambers, his his final like thoughts about the brother, he wrote a poem at the the gravesite and never went back again. But his thought was that he kind of admired his brother for killing himself before life killed him. And I thought, man, is that what it means to be a communist? To have such a <laughs> s expletive deleted view about what's supposed to be about life? Like, oof. I no, I don't think so. I mean, because I think this was, didn't he write that before he actually joined the communist underground or had, was no, he his, a communist at that point? Oh, he had been in and out by this point. Okay. Like, yeah, I, I just don't, like, he had joined the Communist Party by the time his brother had committed suicide. Okay. Um, or he had thought himself a communist. Maybe he didn't outright declare himself and, and, you know, put his name on the register of those, but he had thought himself that. Right. And I thought, oof, that's like a, such a, I don't know. I, I think some of it is. I have been a pessimist my entire <laughs> life, but that is some heavy stuff right there. It is. But, you know, so I think. I think there are a few things, specifically with Whitaker Chambers, where, you know, he was going through his own stuff. I mean, he, oh, yeah, had he very, was totally you know, going through some stuff. Odd uh, upbringing. He had um, a horrible upbringing. His parents, he would have been thrown into foster care, lickety split, if it happened nowadays. His parents were crap. Right. And, and his and, mom tried, but his dad was a joke. But, you know, there also was this fatalistic streak I think even in the 1920s and then certainly in the 1930s with the Great Depression um, that you know a lot of guys brought home from World War One. Yeah, and And I think that Chambers was was a little bit younger, but he I think he would have absorbed that attitude. Uh, And you know you were living in prohibition and and you were defying the law, and and he had gone over um, at the insistence of a friend. He had gone to Europe on a trip after. World War One, but before World War Two, mm-hmm. and he was struck by the horribleness of what war did to countries, as far as destroying things and people and and families and legacies and monuments and things. So yeah, yeah. So and I think that he was would, just like communism is going to do this kind of thing. So yeah, yeah. So for those who uh, who, who don't know, um, Whitaker Chambers ultimately left the Communist Party uh, and. About a decade and a half after he left, he ended up going public and exposing a spy ring that he had been a part of in Washington, D.C. In the government. In the government, in the, yeah. in the State Department. Yeah. Uh, and in the Department of Agriculture. Uh, and eventually named, you know, named names and exposed, you know, a legit spy ring of American citizens who were spying for the Soviet Union. Um this got a, a lot of press attention, and then politicians like Joe McCarthy ended up glomming on to this as an issue and started looking for communists everywhere. And then he turned it into a... He kind of turned it into a farce. A jerk move. Right. Yeah. And so people, you know, I don't think the, the, the left has certainly not done uh, anything to, you know, let Americans know that, oh, yeah, that's, this was a real thing, and it was a real problem, and Whitaker Chambers really did expose... Some really high level, oh, some crazy spies. high level spies, and you were—I was really like, "What? These people in the government with their all their alphabet soup behind their right. name? These were the people who were involved with the Communist Party?" Yeah, and but, so, but they were communists who were in America. They couldn't have necessarily known about the atrocities that Stalin was committing, and the Communist Party was committing mm. over in Russia at the time, because even. Even Whitaker Chambers at one point was like, wait, the purge? And people were like, we're not talking about that. 
No, you don't talk about that. And then it happened. It was just like millions of people getting murdered by the Communist Party. I mean, that's what turned him off eventually. Right. But he didn't know about it when it happened. He heard about it after the fact. Yeah, but he didn't hear about it too long after the fact because no, no. he left in like 34 or yeah. 35. And that's, you know, that was right around the time of the first show trials. Because if you think about it, like the show trials were a part of the purge and they were broadcast around the world. You know, you could see what was going on. People knew that Walter Durante was lying because there were other reporters who were actually reporting on the Ukrainian famine. You had guys. um, And that was purposely put because they weren't allowed to grow the thing. They were like, you know, the the earth was salted. Like there were reasons. I mean, other than the Dust Bowl that was happening over there in Europe, just like in here, like. People weren't allowed to be able to grow stuff, and the collectives were just stupid people who do were brought out of the cities to try to grow crops, and they didn't know what they were doing. So it just it 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 made a horrible problem even worse. Yeah. So so you know, you're right because I mean, Ukraine used to be what like you know how New Jersey the is the Garden of, State. Yeah. yeah, Ukraine was the breadbasket of Europe. Yeah. It was um, because of the Soviets and the and the communists and their policies that it didn't be you know it ceased to become that. Right. So, My family's Ukrainian, as a full disclosure, by the way. <laughs> and we had to deal with some of the weird crap during the Cold War. Yeah. In correspondence. Like, literally. Weird crap. Anyway, go. Sorry. <laughs> well, you ro- I rolled at me, so I guess it's, you know, I was just finishing a thought, but go ahead. Okay. Um, well, I was trying to finish a thought from a couple minutes ago, talking about going back to Whitaker Chambers, and when he left... That you're right, he didn't know all of the details, but there were people who there was enough information out there to know that Stalin was liquidating his enemies, particularly when the show trial started. And yeah. so, um, anyway, it's a he's, a he's a fantastic writer. He, um, he ended up after he left the Communist Party, he, he got a job at Time Magazine, mm-hmm. which at the time, um, all of the writers published their pieces without a byline. Oh, okay. And so you were supposed to write to the time standard, and you really weren't supposed to be able to tell who wrote what. Well, you could probably tell Whitaker Chambers. You, could, you can so tell well. Whitaker Chambers. But he yeah. did. I think he worked for them for like nine, ten years. Yeah, until yeah. he came out as an ex-communist. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he wrote for. Uh, he ended up. He did. He did some pieces for Life magazine. Um, there's a collection. Uh, he he only wrote Witness while he was alive. After he died, a uh, collection of his kind of essays and letters uh, was published under the name Cold Friday, which is, it got some really good stuff in it, but uh, there's also a collection of his pieces, of his magazine pieces for like National Review and for Time Magazine called mm. The Ghost on the Roof, Oh, okay. which was the name of a piece that he wrote uh, in Time in like 1948, I think it was. Before that, the first thing I think he got published was a horrible book of poetry though, Yeah, where he got second in a competition. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting that he actually wrote poetry as well. Right, and he, he actually um, he wrote the American translation of Bambi. Oh yeah, he written, he did a lot of translation because yeah. he could speak English, French, and German. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was really surprised about that. I'm super stoked that you're reading the book because it's one of my favorites and uh, probably one of those things that I've you know asked you, hey, do you want to read this? Like you know, eight or nine times over the years, you'd be like, nah. Well, but, been on, I've been on a history bent. Yeah, and or, I've kind of run beat, out of. I guess that's it. And I've kind of run out of history books to to loan you. So. But I have to say that one of my favorite books that I've read, or my favorite subjects of my of of the books that I have read recently, was about Genghis Khan. The man was a bleeping genius. I think we talked about this last week. Okay. Well, I'm going to get two more books about him <laughs> and his thoughts. 
and if you get a chance, probably because that person wanted to get the book for her dad. So yeah, Genghis Khan, brilliant. But yeah, where do I read after that? Oh yeah, I think it's when you picked up Witness. Whitaker, yeah, Whitaker Chambers. So yeah. it's a big book. It's a big heavy book. Yeah, I finished uh, my reread of Nicholas Johnson's uh, Negroes and the Gun: The Black Tradition of Arms, and then I picked up. Um, it's one of the Oxford Histories of the United States. It's the hmm. volume that deals with the Great Depression and World War II. Oh, okay. So it's called Freedom from Fear. And That'd be good for now. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, like, and again, a lot of it's the 1930s, so it's the same time period that you're reading about in Witness. Yeah. And, and there are, I think there, is, there are some parallels. I mean, hopefully <laughs> we don't have a second Great Depression and... The uh, coronavirus crash of the economy, you know, it results in a quick rebound. Well, but between the coronavirus crash and the people destroying businesses, yeah, it's going to probably be really a little bit like. Well, that's the thing. There were the there crash. was a lot of because businesses were destroyed. Yeah, yeah, but Both there was ways. also a lot of unrest in the 1930s too. I just read about riots in Minneapolis in of like places. 1934, but they were it was over labor. It was, uh, you know, workers that were trying to unionize, and the you yeah, know, the, the companies would call out, uh, you know, the private armies, uh, you know, security guards, and there were you know clashes in the streets. Because uh, I'm pretty sure that in some instances there are really good unions, um, but my uh, history of dealing with a union was with a ridiculously horrible. Uh, professor that I had in the education department of the college that I attended and he I checked on him Uh, he was horrible and didn't teach anything and he would sit barefoot up on his desk and preach weird crap to us and then expect things to happen and I had my friend who worked up in the other branch in a bigger branch of the college that I went to look him up and he had a grievance file against him inches thick But because of the teacher's union and tenure, he was allowed to keep his job. And I think unions also help bad people keep their jobs. So I have an ambivalent feeling about unions overall. No, I understand. Um, And I get that. And I think that, you know, as with... Everything there's a trade-off. I'm I'm less opposed to private sector unions than I am public sector unions. Yeah, government employees don't need a bleeping right. union. They already got a cushy damn job. Um, and you know, so my mom worked for uh, United Auto Workers when I was a kid. She worked for one of the one of the one of the benefits that you got if you were a UAW member was you had access to uh, legal representation. And so she was actually an office manager for one of the uh, UAW law firms. Mm. So she wasn't a UAW member, but she worked for, for the union. Yeah, she yeah, was an employee. In a way, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I kind of have an appreciation for... The, um, the, the 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 formation of, of of these unions in the 1930s, which is not to say that yes, many of them haven't become bloated uh, and are now you know top heavy, but uh, you know the idea of workers fighting to, uh, for instance, you know not go to work in the mines with their ten year old children, you know like that, that I, I can get behind that, you know, uh, one of the reasons why we have a forty hour week is because of. 
you know, labor unions. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So anyway, but, but you know, to read about the the rioting and the fighting and the the calling out of the National Guard and, you know, the... Uh, it, it's it, it does have some similarities to like you know the unrest that we're seeing in the streets today, even if the uh, the causes are are a little bit different. Yeah, they're a little different. You know, so uh, on that cheery note, yeah. So that's called the freedom from fear. Miss uh, E's reading witness. Both of these are really big books, so we'll probably still be reading them next week. Well, yeah, by Whitaker Chambers. Um, yeah, I'm. To be honest, the version that you gave me had like four or seven forewords, and by the time I got to like the third one, I was like, "No, I will not read another foreword." But I did read the letter to his children that he wrote as the original foreword. So if you get any of those books that have a gazillion forewords, just skip to that part and then start from there. Yes. Uh, so thank you very much for tuning in. As always, we're glad to be back with you. We're glad to be able to report good news. Yes. Uh, we're glad that you are able to join us. And we, again, we love to hear from y'all. 40acrefool at gmail.com is the email address. Follow Miss E on Instagram at Corny Goat Farm. You can follow me on Twitter at Cam Edwards. You can send us letters and we'll actually write back too if you want to. Uh, you can just write in care of Corny Goat Farm, P.O. Box 817. Farmville, Virginia, 23901-0817. What are you? That was me going, Pooh, I have an actual letter that I have to reply to. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, well, I guess we know. It got stuck in the wrong pile. So I know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. Yes. We will. We'll we'll get to these letters right after we finish planting the peppers, I promise. (laughs) Anyway, uh, thanks so much. All right, he'll plant. There you go. Uh, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot. And make stuff. And we'll talk to you soon with another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool here on Blaze Podcast Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. 